0: If you become a Patreon supporter, you'll get that and much more if you support the podcast on Patreon, along with our eternal gratitude for doing so. But first, let me put in a good word for Blueberry Podcasting. I'm a Blueberry affiliate, but that's not the only reason I'm telling you this. I've been using Blueberry Podcasting as my hosting service for my podcast for years, and it's one of the best decisions I ever made. They give great customer service, you're in complete control of your own podcast, you can run it from your own website, and it just takes a lot of the work out of podcasting for me. I find for that reason that it's a company that I can get behind 100% and say, you should try this. Try Blueberry. It doesn't require a long-term contract, and it's just a great company, period. And it also has free technical support by email, video, and phone, so you can get a human being there. Isn't that nice? Hi, everyone. My guest today has the most interesting background. Um, he has worked as a bookstore manager, private investigator, a nightclub bouncer, newspaper reporter, freelance writer, and is currently a licensed psychotherapist. Along with the the diverse interests he has, which include, well, I'll get into that later, he is also an Edgar-nominated author of 11 mysteries, mystery thrillers, I should say, with uh, titles in France, Spain, and Japan, and three books under option for adaptation. That's impressive. My guest today is Mark Shore. Hi, Mark. How are you doing today?
1: Good, Demi. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's great to see you, too. Um, Among your novels, you have a series about Red Diamond, Private Eye. That caught my eye right away. (laughs) I love the name.
1: I thought it might when I saw your stuff with Philip Marlowe. uh, (laughs) Raymond Chandler is is an idol of mine in terms of as a writer. Not as a person, but as a writer, he really... (laughs) and my first dog uh, we named Marlon. And um, the, the first three books are, um, the idea is this cab driver has a miserable life and his escape is reading, reading the hard-boiled fiction. And then he has a trauma and he comes to believe that he is red diamond, this ace private eye uh, and gets involved in all sorts of misadventures.
0: Oh, wow. That's interesting. Does that happen in the first book, the uh, misadventure, or does it happen? Uh, it,
1: it, the first book is, is the the trauma, and he starts getting involved in misadventures, and then it, it continues for two more. There was huh. uh, Red Diamond Private Eye, Ace of Diamonds, and Diamond Rock, all feature the the character uh, Simon Jaffe is the his cab driver name, but Red Diamond is his PI name.
0: I love it. That's so cool. Um, I was going to ask you if you came up with the name uh, after watching Murder by Death, which I think had the character Sam Diamond in it. <laughs> no, I just like <laughs> the idea of
1: diamond that is is hard. And red was my nickname when I was a kid way back when and it had reddish hair. The... Um, the the interesting thing is I found out subsequently, there's a, a writer named Jerry Petovich who did To Live and Die in LA and a few other books. He's a, a former Secret Service agent and he had a villain named Red Diamond in one of his books, huh. just coincidentally.
0: <laughs> That's a very interesting coincidence.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Wow. Um, so do you plan to write any more of
1: those books? I'd I'd like to, but they they just, um, you know, by the third one, it was not selling great, and it's been a long time. The first three were the ones that were optioned, and the rights are still held by a movie studio, and I don't think it's ever going to get made. There were changes in management and things like that. So, um, you know, it's not like it can sell to Hollywood. Rights are a little bit tied up, and... I did have another idea for a red diamond, where he would actually meet the creator of the red diamond stories, the author, and I. You know, it's it's almost like a can almost be playing with sort of almost like a father figure relationship. And I had a few ideas along that path, but uh, I don't think there's going to be another uh, diamond book. Hmm.
0: Have you ever by any chance seen the? Uh... British miniseries, The Singing Detective.
1: I've heard of it, but I've never seen it.
0: You really should see it. It's about okay. this guy. His name is Philip Marlowe. Ah. And he has, it was created by Dennis Potter. And basically the guy has, I think, Dennis Potter, a condition that Dennis Potter had. And there's all this like weird stuff with hallucinations and flashbacks to his childhood Huh. it's really interesting
1: I'll, I'll check it out thank you for the record. definitely
0: check that out um let's see your other books are standalones uh do you have a preference for doing those versus series
1: um, There, um three of them were uh, 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 thrillers featuring a zen counter terrorist um gunpower sees the dragon and overkill are a uh, uh, a series also, But other than that, um, I, I think there's something to be said for both of them, both things that there's something nice about a standalone and starting fresh each time, but there's something nice about the familiarity of being able to build on what you've presented in a book. So that I mean the tricky thing is how much do you rehash what's in the original book, or how much do you assume that people know and I mean you need to do some refreshing mm-hmm. of the recollection, but you don't want to be having pages and pages of and then there was the time when blah blah blah, you know, it gets gets kind of slow.
0: Yeah, you don't want to do that.
1: No, no.
0: You don't want to bog down the story with all that
1: backstory. Backstory, right. Yeah, For people who have there. read the previous book, you don't want to punish them by just <clears throat> presenting too much backstory.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Let's see. Among your diverse interests, I noticed you've been an international courier, among other things, which calls to mind all sorts of images. Were you carrying like secret
1: documents? (laughs) No, no, it wasn't as glamorous as as that. There was a thing when I was living in LA where they, they used to use, and I don't think they do it anymore, but for example, if Federal Express had a small shipment, like 20 20 bags or something like that, and they didn't want to use an airplane, they would use your baggage check-in privileges. In other words, if you were on the flight, it only cost them like a, a per bag cost. So they would have couriers go over and just fly over to, I flew to Japan, I flew to Thailand, And they would use my baggage check-in privileges. I could only have a carry-on bag and they would ship a whole bunch of bags with me on a commercial flight. Oh, wow. So uh, I know like, I think it was like DHL subcontracted and I'm not sure about Federal Express, but some of the bigger shipping companies would, would contract with this company that then had hired me to just fly over there so they could use my baggage check-in privileges. Wow,
0: very interesting. <laughs> I had no idea such a thing existed.
1: I didn't either. I forgot how I found out about it. This goes back to when I lived in LA, which was more than, it was you know about 33 years ago or so. Hmm. So uh, it goes back a bit. So
0: how does this person get involved in something like that? <laughs>
1: I You know, I guess probably nowadays you could Google it if there is still such a thing. I know they, they at at that point, they were also running things from New York to the Caribbean and South America. I, I don't know if they had them going to Asia or just, you know, like it was based on the coast, each coast kind of thing. I suspect that's the way it was.
0: That's fascinating. That New York
1: would be Europe and, and uh, South America.
0: Mhm. Wow. That's something. You were also a tai chi instructor? Yes. Uh, a subject in a federally funded ESP test or
1: tests? Yes. So so the tai chi, I've been doing martial arts ever since I was about 8 years old and as I've gotten older the joints are less forgiving of bouncing off of the mat or you know blocking punches or whatever. So now I do tai chi. And I do. I, I teach Tai Chi in, uh, to a couple of people, and I also there's a thing in Tai Chi called push hands, which is a real time exercise where you're trying to off balance the other person. So that's that's the more martial part, really, of the Tai Chi, as opposed to kind of slow set, which is what most people are familiar with. But Tai Chi has weapons, swords, uh, all kinds of things, mm-hmm. a staff. But the the actual uh, the federally funded ESP experiment was what sparked my latest book, The Mastermind. Uh, my late wife and I were in this experiment back in the 70s where um, in, in Brooklyn, where they had us go to a, a, a lab in, uh, in a hospital and they wired me up with a EEG and then they had me sleep. And then when I my wife would project messages, um, images randomly chosen, they they had like a viewmaster and use random numbers to choose a particular image that she would look at and project to me while I was sleeping. And then they would wake me up when they saw in the EEG that I was dreaming after the dream and ask me what I was dreaming about. That was one experiment. Another experiment was with a thing called the Gansfeld, where they put um, basically red colored ping pong balls on my eyes and white noise on my ears. And then I had to talk stream of consciousness. And again, my wife would project images to me. So what we had, ultimately our, our results were not statistically significant. But there was some times where there was just like an amazing hit where she would be looking at something and I would describe it. Hmm. And it it just was... So it was a fascinating thing. And and back then was when the Central Intelligence Agency and Defense Intelligence Agency were doing a lot of research on ESP. And in fact, there's something like one million pages that have been declassified on the research on the, it was the, uh, Project Stargate was the main one, but there was all sorts of stuff. The feds were mainly interested in remote viewing, which is kind of like an individual being able to do like Google Earth kind of thing. It was, it was um, the Guinness had some fascinating stuff where there was um, real incredible hits by people but not statistically significant and some of them actually did provide good usable intelligence data Hmm. but it's it's hard to separate the wheat from the chaff there was a thing involving a submarine base that someone described accurately even before they were able to get intelligence on
0: good heavens
1: (laughs) yeah so so that kind of sparked the the psychologist who ran the, the parapsychologist who ran the experiment that I was involved in was a very nice guy, but as the premise for the mastermind, I made him the villain, and I made the protagonist actually had significant ESP ability, and then it's pretty much uh, um, the this parapsychologist has been pursuing the the young uh, the Thomas Lord, the main character ever since he took part in the experiments. And um, I sort of was inspired by some of the real evil that some of the CIA, uh, that psychologists did for the CIA, like teaching them how to better torture people and things like that.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's
1: that That was the spark for the mastermind being in that experiment.
0: Very interesting. It sounds like a fascinating book. Um, is it part of your other
1: series of thrillers or is this separate it, it is a standalone right a, there, there was a long gap between the um uh the, actually i had two novels that were connected uh borderline and obsession um they they were um they were connected they were involved a psychotherapist in portland oregon which is clearly Close to home, getting involved in some thriller, thriller stuff. But then there was like an eight-year gap. Um, My my wife got cancer and and passed away, and you know, just life was too intense there to uh, have time for uh, you know working and taking care of her and writing and just all of that stuff.
0: I'm sorry to hear that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm. It was interesting. She was actually she got leukemia like 20 some odd years ago, and was the first one to respond to this drug. She was given three to five years, and then she was the first one to respond to this drug that was developed by Dr. Drucker up at Oregon Health Sciences University, and it really effectively cured her of the leukemia. But then like 15 years later, she came down with breast cancer and passed from that.
0: Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. What a shame!
1: Yeah, Um, yeah. mm -hmm. It was it was uh, hard. Some hard times.
0: Yeah, I know. I know that (laughs) feeling—the feeling of hard times. Yes. Yes. Uh, Let's see. You're trained as a mental health professional and crisis management person, also correct? Yes. Yes. Do you find that this is a skill set that people are often looking for from you? I mean.
1: These days, Uh, you you know, one of the things I don't think it's in my list of things that I do is I'm also a trainer and I train people in crisis de-escalation. So, for example, everywhere from Oregon DMV to the, the library has a lot of people with mental illness kind of hanging out there and the librarians didn't receive training, you know, when they first went for their jobs in how to work with people who might have a different reality or things like that. So I've trained uh, at the library. I've trained uh, all sorts of volunteers for the city. I've trained, um, oh, people at the animal shelter, uh, just all kinds of things in crisis de-escalation. And in in fact, I have one nonfiction uh, book that was self-published Oh, all my books are traditionally published, but I have one um, nonfiction book that's shorter that was self-published on crisis de-escalation.
0: Very good.
1: Yeah, and and there is uh, a big demand for that.
0: I, I guess so, yeah. Uh, I wonder if you've crossed paths with my niece. She works with, um, well, she had worked at one time with the Department of Homeland Security
1: in the Northwest. Hmm. I've I've never crossed another interesting thing that I've done is I've been a decoy for the Department of Homeland Security, the TSA at the airport, they have people and they put um, a little bit of explosive in your bag or on your person, and then have you go through as if you were an ordinary passenger, and they have the dogs, the sniffing dogs there, and they're tested to see if they'll alert to you.
0: Oh, I was wondering about that, and that is really wild.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah. I so I I signed a non-disclosure agreement about as far as talking about it in detail, but I suspect that they just don't want you know talking about sources and methods, like if I knew what kind of explosive was put on me or how big it was or where they put it or anything like that that might give information to a potential terrorist. But just saying that I I did it. And it was really, it was really interesting. It was fun, just seeing some dogs didn't do a good job, and there was one dog that didn't do a good job. And then I went back like three months later for it, and the dog had been well trained then, and and was huh. was spot on. So he he went from from some remedial alert to being really good at it.
0: Very good. So he finally passed the audition. So to so speak. he passed. <laughs> Excellent. What books and authors do you find most inspire you as a writer?
1: Well, you know, Raymond Chandler, I just really, I really love his stuff. I, I always, um, I really appreciate the writing more, you know, I mean, there's the classic story told about Raymond Chandler when they were making the movie The Big Sleep and the director asked him who killed the chauffeur. And Chandler went back and looked at his, his stuff and said, you know, damned if I know. <laughs> and sometimes I mean I, I take more pride in my plotting than that, but I take most pride in my writing. Like I really like the, the writing, the scene setting, the character development. All of those things are super important to me. So Raymond Chandler, I really like his stuff. Um as far as police procedurals, Michael Connolly, just I think is you know the, the dean of that reading the, the Harry Bosch books, the Hieronymus Bosch books are, are just really, uh, he does a, such a great job. Y- when I lived in LA, I worked for the L- LA Herald Examiner for little less than two years, but I covered, uh, I was a investigative reporter covering uh, federal court and then I, I just did. I, I didn't have the police beat, but being sort of an investigative reporter, I would go. I, I would overlap with that area, and um, certainly courts stuff. I covered a, a fair amount of, and occasionally police stories. So it, it, you know, he does such a nice job at capturing the the culture there and and just capturing LA just the way Chandler captured LA in the 40s sort of thing
0: Exactly yeah
1: but uh I really enjoy them um Mark Cameron I like he does he does thrillers and I just uh, really really enjoy his stuff um who else we Child, I mean, Lee Child, sometimes it's, you know, him telling the same story basically over and over, but he does such a good job doing it. I'm happy to go along for the ride. Uh, I really liked Robert B. Parker. Again, you know, sometimes he was telling the same story over and over again, but he just did such a nice job doing it that you sort of, you know what to expect. And that's, it's it's kind of like an old friend. Sort of. Exactly.
0: Yeah, I think... A lot of times, you know, writers and these characters become like old friends to you.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: That's part of what makes these things successful, I think. Yes. <clears throat> um, let's see. What are you working on now?
1: I'm actually not working on it am I'm working as a therapist and, you know, just enjoying life, but I'm not working on a, a, a book right now. I'm the 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 idea of cults fascinates me, and I've been sort of collecting some nonfiction article you know articles about them. And uh, I just recently got the names of a few podcasts that that focus on cults and things like that. That complete giving up of one's will and how it's done, and how there really is a, a process of indoctrination that you see across all of these cults. So, I I suspect if I do another novel, that will somehow be a part of it, mm. but I haven't quite uh, I, I haven't quite thrown myself into the pool yet.
0: I can imagine the internet has made cults easier to spread.
1: To, to, to their cult outreach.
0: messages,
1: yeah.
0: Yep. for sure. Um, let's see. Uh, what advice would you give to anyone who's interested in writing for a living?
1: Oh, gosh, it's it's <laughs> a tough, you've you've got to love writing because it's really hard to make a living at it. I mean, I've I've worked I've, I've made a living as a newspaper reporter, as a magazine writer and as a novelist. And all three of them were tough. I mean, newspapers, I'm, I'm kind of glad I got out of them when I did. I mean, you know, you look at the number of newspapers that have gone out of business in the past 20 years, and it's just huge. It's really, really sad. And um, magazine writing, you know, being a freelance writer, it was really difficult. I mean, sometimes I'd, I'd have like too many stories to do, and then there'd be a, a lack of stories. It was real erratic erratic income um novels i i just you know write the cliche of write about what you know but be willing to stretch uh do your research but don't be obsessed with the research i sometimes find myself really packing the facts in like my i think it was my fourth novel was about teddy roosevelt and he was such a fascinating character it's the only historical mystery that i did but i just felt I feel like I almost damaged the narrative at times because I was so eager to pack facts into it. Mm -hmm. So finding that balance between, you know, telling a story and packing in facts is something I still wrestle with. Even in the mastermind, I feel like I included a lot of factual information just because there was so much, so much interesting facts. I think interesting facts is what gets me interested in a subject and then I have to control how much I pack it into the narrative.
0: Absolutely, I agree. Yeah, you have to kind of have a nice balance there. Yes, I mean that yes. way you're intriguing people with the story as well as the facts. It's kind of yeah, like, yeah, I mean that's oh, another oh, thing. Well, This is why it's so interesting. <laughs> yes,
1: well, it's another writer who I really like, Frederick Forsyth, uh-huh. a writer who also was always very big on you know just. They'd be huge. They'd called factoids. You know, you get to something and there'd be a page and a half on how to how to get a, a fake birth certificate, or you know, <laughs> what's the best way to blow up a car, or things like that. <laughs>
0: Almost as bad as Mitchner.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> uh, let's see. Is there uh, anything else you'd like to add before we finish
1: up? No, just. Thank you for having me, and to the listeners, thank you for listening, and hope you enjoyed.
0: Well, thank you very much, Mark, for being here. Oh, one more thing: do you do Simon signing, signings at Powell's Books there in well, Oregon, I, I, I haven't
1: I I did signings when there there used to be a mystery bookstore, Murder by the Book, but they went out of business. Powell's only them. has the eight hundred pound gorillas. You know, they're they're such a, a giant. I mean, there's such a great local resource, but they'll have you know, you know, James Patterson or or Lee Child or someone like that. They're not going to have. Uh, I'm a bonobo, and they're 800 pound gorillas.
0: <laughs> yeah, they they kind of cover the waterfront in terms of publishing, so yeah, they won't focus specifically on mystery as such or crime as such. Even so, cool place.
1: Yes, very cool place. Very, very.
0: Ah yes. So uh is there anything else you'd like to add?
1: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's been great talking to
1: you. Great talking with you too, and a, a fellow Philip Marlowe fan.
0: Absolutely. I love Philip Marlowe. Yes. I'm a huge fan.
1: <laughs> I like that little clip you have of Bogart and, and... Oh yeah. Yes. And the
0: uh yeah, the um the video there for the yeah. for the Podcast. Yes, I'll have to put a little link up to it in the corner, so that viewers can see it. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mark. And okay.
1: Thank Take you, care, Debbie.
0: You too. Uh, hang in there, because I want to oh. talk to you after this.
1: Okay. Very good. Take
0: care. excellent. Um, I just want to say thank you to everyone listening, and if you would please leave a review. Um, Also, uh, check out the Patreon page where you can see the video that he was just talking about with a little clip from The Big Sleep, (laughs) one of my favorite movies ever. Yes. And uh, check out our our Patreon page. If you become a patron, you can get ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, uh, excerpts from my books, all this stuff that I offer there. For patrons so um on that note i'll just say our next guest will be kim sherwood the first female author to write a bond novel that's bond james bond who does semi well he gets a mention in the book at any rate i don't know if he's going to appear or not i haven't gotten through the whole book but it is a cool book and so bring your martini shaker for this one because it's shaken not stirred right all then <laughs> the book is double or nothing and the, the author is kim sherwood and she'll be here in two weeks so with that i will just say thanks for listening and until then happy reading